The Bible reading for today is taken from Luke chapter 13, verses 10 to 21. Luke chapter 13, verse 10 onwards. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan had kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again he asked, What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Hey everyone, it's Pastor James. Uh, I've got the joy of opening up God's Word with us today. Uh, next week, uh, we've got a different speaker coming along, so please join us as we, we take just a week, uh, two weeks off um, from the book of Luke. We're in our sermon series called Journeying with Jesus, and that's what we're going to do today. But before we do that, and before I pray, I just want to remind you, please yeah, join, join me on a Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday where we're going to open up the book of Philippians. Come and join us just for a few minutes where we can sit in God's Word and be uh, in, encouraged. Um, but join me, I'm going I'm to pray for us um, that God will work in our lives as we come to a, a passage that is beautiful. It's a, it's a passage that should bring us great joy and rejoicing. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for a new day. Thank you that we can watch this online together where we can sit have your word explained to us. Father, I pray that you'll do a powerful work in our life, that as we see who Jesus is in this passage and seeing what he can do, Father, that our hearts will overflow with joy and that we'll know what it is to be truly set free. And so, Father, help us. May your spirit work powerfully in this moment. May he work through the preaching of your word. Convict us, encourage us, change us. And, Father, help us to, to be changed by this so that we will bring glory and honour and praise to you today, tomorrow and in the weeks that lie ahead, no matter whether we're locked down in our home or whether we're back out doing work or being back in the schoolyard. Help us, we pray. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The king of Macedonia, Alexander the Great, he, he led his people on a great campaign. In his reign, he conquered and he overthrew many nations. He overthrew the Persian. He overthrew Asia Minor. He overthrew Babylon. He even tried to get into Central Asia. He's a man who was famous. He is known in world history as probably one of the greatest generals that the world has ever seen. 
He was an amazing general. He was, he was amazing at war. He was a man who was a great visionary. He was a man who was great at planning. He was a man who could dream. And yet Alexander the Great, at the age of 32, died. A man who had conquered so much of the world in the pursuit of, of more country for his people and for his nation. In a, in a way, Alexander the Great, they were seeking more land so that they could appear to have more life. To, in a way, hope that they could have a utopia where his people and himself would live freely with more abundance of things. To bring wealth, to bring peace, to bring safety. Even William Wallace in, in the movie Braveheart, he speaks of freedom. This Scottish man who wants to bring freedom for the people of Scotland. He wants to lead the people to separate themselves, to have freedom from the tyranny and from the rule of England in the, in the pursuit of freedom. God's people, Israel, for 400 years, they, they were God's people in the land and yet they disobeyed God. They rebelled and they found themselves in a foreign land, in exile, in Babylon. They come back to, to their land and yet they have no king. And for over 400 years, the people of God, they're awaiting a king who would come. A king who they hoped would bring freedom, peace, wealth, prosperity and health. A king who would come along and free them from Roman rule. And set up a kingdom where they would be free to do whatever they wanted. But I wonder, do you in this, in this moment, in this time, in, in the place that we, we live here in Sydney, do you feel a bit like that? Maybe a bit like Israel, who feel like, oh man, we feel like we're in a prison. We feel like we don't have our freedom. I, I wonder, as we've been watching the Olympics over the last couple of weeks, as we've had so many Aussies this week win gold, as you hear the Australian anthem, where we sing, we are one and free, and yet you think, are we really free at this moment? Like we're locked down. You know, maybe the government's not leading how you want, and you think, man, if only we could have different people in, or if only the circumstances were different, and then we would we'd, we'd have freedom in our life. See, Israel, they felt they felt bound, but they were more than just physically bound. They had a greater problem as well. And so today we're going to be reflecting on Jesus' words. Last week we, we saw that it's a time, it's a moment in history where it's a time of division. It's a time where you need to settle the score. It's a time where you need to turn back, but it's also a time of patience. But this week we're going to be looking at something different. We're going to be looking at the journey to freedom. We're going to be looking at what the kingdom of God is and what it brings, what it is like. See, we want freedom. But also, we're going to see how that it's a bit different to what we think. But let's have a look. But, but before we, we, we get to point one, I've got two points today. But before we get to point one, I think it's really helpful for us as we come to this passage that Agnes read for us. It's, it's really good for us to do a bit of background work. We need to get ourselves in the context so that we interpret it right. Because this passage has often been used in an unhelpful way. The, 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 the part that gets often used, it's, it's, it's Luke chapter 13, and it's, it's, often verse 11, it's often verse 11 and verse 
16. It's often used to go, well, okay, if you've got an illness, you're obviously bound by Satan. And if you're not, you're not. And so what we can use is we go, well, this person's struggling with mental health. Well, obviously, they're having an attack by Satan. So what I want to do now is I want us to make sure that we don't walk away with that. Because that's not what Luke is trying to portray to us, that we go, oh, that person's unwell and unhealthy because Satan has bound them. That's not what we're meant to do with this text. So let's have a look. Let's do some background work so that we, we come away refreshed and just amazed at who Jesus is in this passage. So what we're going to do, we're going to do two things. We're going to, I want to do two things. I want to look deeply at the, the, the Gospel of Luke, and then I want to have a quick look at what the Sabbath means. Now, I want you to go back to Luke chapter 1. Go back to Luke chapter 1 for a moment. And while you're going back to Luke chapter 1, I'm going to go to Isaiah 61. See, in the Old Testament, the, the, the people of God, they've been exiled and they've come back from exile. See, in Isaiah chapters 1 to 39, the book of Isaiah and the prophet Isaiah, he speaks of how God's people are going to be judged, how they're going to be sent to a foreign land. And then in Isaiah chapter 4, the prophet says, comfort, comfort my people. But he also says there is the voice of one in the wilderness prepares the way of the Lord. Have you ever heard that language before? Prepares the way of the Lord. In the Gospel of Luke, who says it? John the Baptist. But then you get to Isaiah 61. I want you to have a listen to these words of Isaiah 61 while you hold your finger in Luke chapter 1. Have a listen to these words of the prophet in the Old Testament that speak of uh, someone to come. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Oh, I didn't think of it. It says, comes to proclaim good news, to proclaim freedom of the captives and to release. I want you to picture that language. That's Isaiah 61. That's 700 years before Christ. And you get to Luke chapter 1. Here's why Luke has written the Gospel of Luke. We need to be reminded of this as we come to this passage. We need to be reminded as we read all of Luke. Why has Luke written it? Have a look. Verse 3. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent. Theophilus. Why? Here's the purpose for why he's written it. So that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. Luke writes this to people in the first century so that they can be sure about what they have believed about Jesus and what's been taught. And so for us, the Gospel of Luke is to remind us who Jesus is. Now go across to Luke chapter 4. Hang in here. We've got to do a little bit of hard work. Uh, but I want you to hang in for a moment because it's going to be really helpful for us. Luke chapter 4. And, and you get to look verse 14 and Jesus is... He's in the synagogue. He's teaching. He's, he's gone in there and, and he teaches and he opens up the scroll of Isaiah. And guess what he goes to? Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom. Listen to these, these words. He's proclaimed freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. And then what does he do? He rolls up the scroll and he sits down and he says, Today in this hearing of this word being read, it's been fulfilled. See, Jesus is saying, here's the fulfillment of Isaiah 61. What, what he's saying is, is, 
what Luke's showing us in the Gospel of Luke is that the, that the Messiah that the, the Israelites have been awaiting for, the king that the people have been awaiting for, here is, how do you know when the kingdom has come? How do you know when it's been inaugurated? How do you know when it's come and this Messiah is here? Well, these things are going to happen. And so Luke's very strategic in how he puts the Gospel of Luke together for us so that we know right, these things that Jesus does. What he is about to do in the passage that we're about to read, what he is doing there is showing us as the reader and the person in the first century, it's going, the kingdom has come. This is the sign that Jesus, the Messiah, the suffering servant of Isaiah is here. Okay, secondly, let's hang in there. One more thing. I want to talk about the Sabbath for a moment. Because Jesus in this text, he's, he's, he's in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Now, Sabbath was a Saturday for the Israelites. But what's the Sabbath about? Well, Sabbath means cease work. But it's, it's, it's even more than that. I want you to have a listen to the Ten Commandments for a moment. Because we need to understand about the Sabbath. Because as we read this passage, we can easily just glance over and forget that it's on the Sabbath. We get that they're upset that this has been done on the Sabbath. But what does it mean? Okay, have a listen to this. So Jesus, he, 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 sorry, Moses, Moses says this in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. As the Lord your God has commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigners residing in your town, so that your male and female servants may rest as well. So he's saying to the people of Israel, you know, you rest, but also your animals rest, so do your slaves rest. But this is a really key verse. Remember that. Why do you practice the Sabbath? Remember, because the Sabbath is to remind you of something. It's also to point to something. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you. What's the Sabbath for? As you turn back to Luke 13. See, the Sabbath was for the Israelites a time where they remembered that they've been set free from captivity in Egypt. It was there for them to look back and to remember that they were once captives, but now they've been set free. But also the Sabbath for the people of God in the Old Testament was also pointing forward to the greater exodus where Jesus would come and he would set the people free. Okay, keep that in the back of your mind now as we come to this passage. First point, what's this passage about? Well, only Jesus can set you free. Central to this passage is that it's only Jesus who can set you free. Have a look at verse 10. On the Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. I think this is the last time in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus is teaching in the synagogue before he, he, gets, to the, um, he gets to the cross. The last time he, sorry, it's actually the last time he heals before he gets to the cross. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. Or literally, she's, it's, 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 she's been disabled by a weak weakness. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. Now, many people try and guess what medical condition she had. We can try and do that. But, but the point is, this woman is someone who's been living in pain every day. 
She lacks the fullness of life. She's not free and on and on and on and on. One year, two years, three years, this illness goes on and on. And every day as she faces this suffering and this sickness, her face is keeled over, her back is keeled over. And wherever she walks, she is facing the ground, unable to lift up her head. And she shuffles and she's keeled over as she comes in to the synagogue. And yet in her affliction and yet in her condition, how easy it would be for us to go, woe is me. And yet she makes the effort to be there on a Sabbath. And she heads there. It would have been difficult, painful. It would have put her out to go to the synagogue. I wonder last year we had, we had COVID lockdown. We've come out of COVID lockdown. Maybe you're perfectly fit, you're perfectly well, and yet man, it's just been too much effort to come back to gather with God's people. Well, Christians can just go, oh, it's not important. But yet this woman who, who's keeled over and her face is facing the ground, she goes, I need to be here because it's a place where I'm comforted. It's a place where I'm encouraged. She seeks the comfort of God. And who notices this woman? Who notices this woman in a culture where women were shunned by men, where, where they didn't have a place in society? Jesus. Jesus, he sees her. He calls her and he speaks to her. No synagogue leader, no religious person, no teacher of the law would have considered doing that. How beautiful it is if you're a woman listening today to see the beauty and the wonder and the love and compassion Jesus has for you. And you notice that Jesus, he speaks. Have a look there at verse 12. Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. But not only does he speak, but he actually he lays a hand on her. He lays a hand on her and Immediately, she straightens up and she praises God. The creator of the universe speaks and lays her hands on her and she is healed. Wow. Who could do that but only God? See, in this passage, we're seeing who Jesus is. Here he is. Remember what Isaiah spoke about. But in this, in this moment where this woman is set free, these religious leaders, well, they're not, they're not exactly too happy. They're not happy. And the synagogue leader, he addresses the crowd. Did you notice that? But he doesn't even have the courage. He doesn't even have the courage to look Jesus in the eyes and to speak to Jesus. But instead, this religious person, rather than speaking directly to Jesus, he turns to the crowd. Just so that Jesus can still hear him, but he won't look Jesus in the eyes and he talks to the crowd and he bags Jesus out. Have a look what he says. Indignant. They're indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And so the synagogue leader, what did he do? There are six days for work. So come and be healed. Come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. And, and he, he's doing that and so Jesus can hear, but yet he doesn't want to look at Jesus in the eye. See, religious people, 
They won't come and talk to you and, and talk face to face. They'll often, they'll talk about you and slander you behind your back. And, and this man, he does that. He's not happy, not happy one bit with what Jesus has done. See, religious people think they are pleasing God and yet they absolutely miss Jesus. But have a look at verse 14. There's humor there with it. Right, you know, well, on six days you work, so come back another day and do it on another day. There's this humor here. Because, you know, if this if this woman came back on Monday or Tuesday, or obviously she'd been there from weeks and years, possibly beforehand, these religious synagogue leaders, what would they have done? If this woman had come back on Tuesday and Jesus wasn't there, what would have happened? They wouldn't have been able to do a thing. They wouldn't have been able to set her free. They wouldn't have been able to show mercy in the way that Jesus has shown mercy. And Jesus, he uses logic. He, he speaks to them. Have a look at verse 15. You hypocrites. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or your donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? He's just using logic. He's just going, well, just today, like these men, today, they would, have, they would have grabbed their donkey or their cow, their ox, untied it, right? Untied it, freed it, and, and they took it, showed compassion, and gave it water. Now, in their, in their religious law, it allowed them to do that. But well, not for humans. See, they showed the, 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 the ironic thing is they showed more compassion towards their pets, well, they're not they're, they're animals, than they did to this woman who'd been suffering for 18 years. You have compassion for the donkey. You have way more compassion for this donkey than you have for this woman. And there is something, isn't there? Because there can, we have seen that. You can see that, can't you, sometimes? In this world that's turned upside down by our rebellion, we can, we can love our pets so much that we'll do anything for them, but not show compassion for the woman down the street. And Jesus, he rebukes them. He rebukes these people. They've missed the point of this. He, he's rebuking them because they've actually missed the point of the passage. See, it is good to show mercy on the Sabbath. And the crowd, what's the crowd's response? Well, the, the, the opposition, they're humiliated in verse 17. But the people, wow, they're delighted with all the wonderful things that Jesus is doing. Last week, we saw that it's a time of division. Guess what? Here in this moment, we see that it is a time of division. But we also saw that it's a time to settle with God. It's a time to turn back. And we come to this text this week that flows on from last week where we're to repent and to settle with God. And straight away, the question Luke's going to let make us ask is, let's see if the crowds do. Some do. Some don't. But what I want you to do now in this moment, I want you to, we're going to, I want you to, 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 to notice something. I want you to see what's happening here. I want you to think of this language of bound. I want you to think of this language of prison. Be, remember the word Sabbath? The Sabbath was a reminder of being set free from your cap captivity from Egypt. And yet at the same time, the Sabbath was pointing forward to a greater exodus 
where Jesus would set us free at the cross. Have a look at verse 12. I want you to have a look at verse 12 again. The woman, woman, you are, I want you to listen to that word, set free. Okay? Set free, untied, loosed. Okay? Okay, that in the back of your mind. So she's set free. Jesus doesn't say you're healed. Do you notice that? Doesn't say you're healed, but he says you're set free. Go to verse 15. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie? Now that word untie there is the same root word that Jesus uses to set free. So as the woman is set free, right? These synagogue leaders, these men, they set free, they untie. That's the same word. But then you get down to verse 16, for 18 long years, be set free on. It's the same word again. So there's this language of being the captives are set free. Jesus is the only one who can set us free. And notice who does it. God. It's not you. It is Jesus who can set us free. Because there is the kingdom of darkness and there's the kingdom of God. See, the long-awaited deliverer, Luke is telling us here, is he's here by Jesus doing what he has just done with this woman by setting her free. It is telling those who are reading, it's telling those who are watching, here is this one who's been talked about in Isaiah, that the kingdom he's going to bring in is here. See, Jesus has set you free. If you're a follower of Jesus today, he has set you free from the dominion of Satan. And he's set you free and brought you into the kingdom of God. Now, there are many kingdoms in the world. You know, we've got the UK. We've got governments like we've got like the US. We've got Japan. There is plenty of kingdoms in the world. Plenty of different authority. But there's only two kingdoms, really. There is the kingdom of Satan or there's the kingdom of God. There's only two. You're either in the kingdom of darkness or you've been set free and brought into the kingdom of Jesus. Right now, the world is chasing freedom. People in Sydney right now go, I want my freedom back. As Aussies, we are people who want our freedom. And what we mean by we want our freedom is we want our freedom to do whatever we desire, whatever we want. You know, the Aussie dream for some, that freedom is, that picture of freedom is, well, let me work three days a week and I'll surf at the beach for another three. Maybe the sense of being an Aussie and the freedom you want is to live out however I want to live. You just can't tell me how I should live. Or maybe there's a freedom as an Aussie. You go, well, the freedom I want is I want the freedom to good health. I want to have freedom to good health care. I want to have freedom to a good education for my kids. Culturally, Aussies, we want freedom. 
In fact, Aussies are known. We, we, we're known to be people who go, well, no, you can't tell me what to do. It's my right. It's my freedom. Because what we do deep down is say, I want to do whatever I want to do. And right now, people are crying out, we want our freedom. But it's not freedom. See, Jesus, he, he sets us free. We want to be free, but it's only Jesus who can set us free. But it's also good to remember that Jesus does set us free, but he doesn't set us free to live however we want. So Jesus doesn't set us free to, to live for ourselves. Actually, what Jesus does is he sets us free from the dominion of darkness and he brings us into the kingdom of light. But he's also doing that. He sets us free to live for God in God's way. So the book of Romans is so helpful on this because the book of Romans says two things. You're either a slave to righteousness or you're a slave to sin. We were once slaves to sin, but now we are slaves to righteousness. So Jesus has set us free to now live for God. Jesus, it's only Jesus who can set us free. On the 19th of July in the UK, it's probably a day that's going to go down in history. On the 19th of July in the UK, it's known as Freedom Day. It's a place where the UK, they decided, right, it's Freedom Day, we'll no longer wear masks, we'll no longer social distance. It's a day where the nation can be free and people were cheering and rejoicing and, and just full of energy going, we are now set free. This week I was um, thinking to myself, man, I wish we could have Freedom Day in Sydney. Man, I look forward to that day where we don't have to wear masks, where we don't have to do this. As I was reflecting on the UK Freedom Day, I was reflecting on us here in Sydney. And we're chatting about this, I was chatting about this with my wife um, earlier this week. And we were just talking about that UK freedom that they had. And my wife, lovingly, without me, she doesn't know this, but lovingly, she rebuked me and made my eyes wake up. Because as we're discussing about this, about how Aussies want freedom and about how um, the UK have Freedom Day, she says, they think they have freedom, but they actually don't. They think that this Freedom Day will set them free and that they'll have life to abundance. But she said they don't have freedom. They're enslaved to sin, they're enslaved to death. And the things that they think will bring them freedom, joy and peace will only let them down. And I thought, yeah, yeah. They thought that having this freedom day would actually set them free. That in a way they could have some form of utopia. See, Alexander the Great, they were chasing a, a, a country and a, a, like a, a nation and an empire where in a way you could have a utopia. The Israelites were chasing a world. They thought the Messiah would come and bring in this utopia where they will set up and rule the world. And yet in a way, as we think about Freedom Day, we're going like, man, wouldn't it be lovely to have that utopia where we're free to do whatever we want? Wouldn't I do anything to have my freedom back? And that's exactly what Adam and Eve thought in the garden, didn't they? If only we could have our freedom. And look what it brought in. 
it brought in and had this effect that went through the whole world of sin and decay. See, the UK isn't actually free. They're still in the kingdom of darkness. You know, this idea of having freedom, it's, it's, it's bizarre, right? Because we actually don't. N- now that I've moved to Sydney, now that I've been settled in Sydney for six months, seven months, I, th- there's been a few instances where I've forgotten that I'm in Sydney and I think I'm in the country driving. And so what happens is as I'm driving along, because in the country all you do is when you come to an intersection, you look right, there's no car coming, so you turn left or you go across. Well, the problem has been in Sydney on a couple of occasions now. Well, it's a red light. Yep, I'll pull up to the red light and I'll look right and I'll, oh, no one coming and I'll just turn on out. Lucky, lucky I haven't had an accident yet. But I'm not free. Like, none of us are free. I'm I'm not free to drive through red lights. I'm not free at the next stop intersection to not stop. I'm not free to drive. Now, I would love to drive at 180k an hour down the freeway, but I'm not free to do that. So we have this false idea that freedom is going to bring us life. But here Jesus, he sets us free so that we can live for God. Because either you're in the kingdom of the devil or you're in the kingdom of Jesus. And in this miracle, in this story that's painted before us today, there's this physical picture of this woman who stands up. It's a picture of the type of king of who Jesus is. He's the king who can set you free. See, this physical nature is also a reminder of the spiritual, of how Jesus actually came for something greater. He came to set you free spiritually. And if you're watching today, if you're online with us now and you're not a follower of Jesus, you can be set free. As you wrestle right now going, man, I wish I was free. It's only Jesus who can do it. It's only Jesus who can do it. So why don't you turn to him and let him set you free? See, Jesus, he sets us free. But even in the context, it's it's a beautiful picture because weeks ago we looked at the journey to treasure where Jesus says, You have no need to worry. You don't have to worry about what you'll wear. You don't have to worry about the food. You don't have to worry about the clothes that you'll have to wear. How many people right now are worried about tomorrow? And Jesus says, why worry about tomorrow? Because tomorrow will worry about itself. You're not going to add a day to your life by worrying about what's going to happen. Because, see, the world worries about things like that because they think there is freedom in those things like clothes, food, houses, holidays. But Jesus has set us free from that. He has set us free from that. How much more I care for you. What a beautiful picture. Because as we have been working with Jesus, as he walks to the cross... He's also been reminding of the kingdom that he brings in. And we've been brought into that. But it isn't always instant release. Is it? Like, I still worry. I'd imagine some of you are worried about tomorrow. You're worried about the government. You're worried about this. See, it's, it's not always an instant, is it? You know, people, we often hold up someone like Bill, who, who becomes a Christian and instantly his whole life changes. You know, he was once an alcoholic and now he's not. Someone was once addicted to drugs and overnight they're no longer. Now, that does happen, but it's not the norm. 
It's a process. It takes time. And so that brings us to our next point. So the first point is that see, Jesus, he's the only one who can set us free. But in the second point, we're going to see that the kingdom of God is it's a slow permeation. It's a slow permeation and saturation. The Israelites thought that this Messiah that would come along would blow the socks off Rome. Now, I don't know whether the Romans wore socks, so maybe they'd come along and blow the, the, the thongs off the Romans. But see, the Israelites thought that this Messiah would come in, knock Roman off its, Rome off its perch, bring Israel back to the land and have this king set up on the hill and that they would live in this utopia and so forth. That's what they thought. But Jesus shows us something different. He's a different king than that. See, he's now gone from a land to a people. And what we're going to see now is that the kingdom of God, he, he's going to show us what it's like. Because in verse, in verse 18, then Jesus asks, what is the kingdom of God like? Now, in the NIV, it hasn't put in a word called the therefore. There's actually a therefore. So in light of what we've just done, he says, therefore, in light of this, here's what the kingdom of God is like. It's slow permeation and saturation. And what he's doing, I think he's doing two things. One thing is he's picturing the kingdom of God in an external sense of how it goes out. But secondly, he's also talking about it in an internal sense where he's talking about in a way our sanctification, about how God is changing us to be more like him. See, what this picture of the mustard seed, what this picture of the leaven is, it's, it's not instant. It's not something that just, bang, it's going to come in and it's going to be huge and amazing and wonderful. See, not like Alexander the Great who comes in and takes over all these nations and sets up his rule and people. No. It's different. Here's an example of what he's talking about with a mustard seed. He's saying, you go and plant a mustard seed and it's small. It's really, really small. But after year, 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 it eventually becomes a tree where the birds will come and sit in. I love watermelon. Now, I'm not a good gardener. I want things instantly. I tell you what would be so good. You plant the watermelon seed today, you water it. And I'll tell you what I'd love to do. I'd love to come back tomorrow and the tree be whoo, and juicy, hard, watermelons everywhere now that's the kind of growth i want right sort of how i live my life it's just like i want it now now if i go to bed tonight and i plant that seed if i come out tomorrow and there is watermelons this big i'm gonna go wow that's amazing and like yes this is good let's get on board but jesus says no the kingdom of god's <clears throat> it's not going to be like that you may not even notice how it grows but it will. It will bear fruit. It will go out. So that's the picture of God's kingdom. That as, as the disciples go out and they preach the gospel, don't be worried because it's going to go out and out and out and out and out. And as, as Jesus says in Luke, in, in Acts chapter 1, you ought to go to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Do you ever struggle sometimes in ministry? You think, I haven't seen things happen quick enough. 
Or maybe people say, well, Christianity is dying. Or as people in the world go, well, Christianity is just going to die. It's going to be a flop, but it doesn't matter. Or as the world may picture it, they may be completely oblivious to the growth of the kingdom of God. It may seem insignificant. Sometimes we can worry and fear. Is it growing? Is it making enough headroom? Is it making enough ground? I wonder as you've led a life group, have you ever thought that you've been leading a life group for five years and you think to yourself, man, has anyone learned anything? Are people actually growing? Are people becoming Christians? Maybe right now you're overwhelmed and worried about the growth of the church in the midst of a lockdown. Going, well, how can we grow? What's going to happen? And, and doom, it's just doom, doom, doom. What are we going to do? How beautiful Jesus is. He's actually giving us confidence as disciples of Jesus. As we journey with him, he's saying it's okay. You know, I'm not going to come in like Alexander the Great. But... See, Jesus is heading towards the cross. Jesus says to his disciples, take up your cross and follow me. He says, we are going to be displaced. We're going to be put out. We're going to be put out as followers of Jesus. We're going to ask the question, is it worth it? Is it worth suffering for this? Is it worth being persecuted for this? Is it really worth all this time and all this effort? Because to me, sometimes it feels like, yes, it's, it's, it's not like that watermelon in James's backyard that grew overnight like that. But a thousand years from now, in eternity, where we are with God, you'll go, wow. Wow, Jesus, you were right. Or as you're 70 years old and you've taught Sunday school for 50 years and that teenage boy comes to you when they're 50 and says, you know what? When you led that Sunday school group, I'm so thankful for you because you shared Jesus with me. And now I have a family of six and all of them know Christ. Wow. Is it worth giving up my Friday night to go and help at youth group? Wow, it's worth it. Because the ripple effect of Jesus is setting people free. We may feel like the work is too great or the job is too hard, but take courage. Let's not be dismayed. Let's not be dismayed in this moment. But let's be encouraged because Jesus has set us free and his kingdom is growing. It's not speculation, but Jesus says it will. It goes. It even goes and, and changes in persecution. It even grows in moments of COVID. I, today I, I saw on open doors on Facebook it said this. Oh, it just blew me away. It, it, it's from a pastor. These are the words of an imprisoned pastor in Iran. And he says this. Had I not been persecuted, the gospel would have never reached the prison. Those who put this man in jail were trying to stop the growth of the kingdom. And yet it advanced the kingdom. But there's also a second picture here. So there's this external picture of the kingdom growing. But there's actually this internal picture of leaven and flour. See, so he's speaking about a 20 kilo bag of flour and leaven. And the leaven, it, 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 it's so small and so insignificant. And yet 
it, it grows and it saturates. Not only does it permeate, but it also saturates. And what I think Jesus is talking about here is he's actually talking about our sanctification. About how God is chipping away at us. Those moments where your anger over 20 years, God has been changing you and you can now look back after 20 years. You can't look forward in five days and go, yep, I've seen a difference. But after 20 years, you go, man, God, you've changed me. Wow. You were, when you were 25, you may have been worried and anxious, but then as life's been going on, God has been working in you and he's been, he's been sanctifying you. And now at the age of 60, there's, I'm not as worried as I used to be. And as, as you remember when you first came to Christ to 30 years down the track, you go, man, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, it is so much more evident now. But in 15 days' time, you probably won't notice it as much. Sanctification, God's at work in us. This week, we've in our family discipleship time, where we've made time at the meal table, this week we opened up the book of James and we started reading James. And I think the book of James was so pivotal for us this week. We just read the first couple of verses of chapter 1. And, and we read this with our boys and we, just, we, we sat on these first ver- couple of verses Consider it pure joy, says James. We're sitting here in lockdown in this moment, unknown of what's happening. And we read to our boys, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Consider it joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Wow, right now we are to consider it pure joy, what we're going through. Why? Because God is making you more like Jesus. It's actually through these moments. Do you, do you realize it's actually through these trials? It's through these tough moments. It's actually through this. He's saying, consider it pure joy. These people that he's writing to are going through way more than us. And he says, consider it pure joy. And God is sanctifying us through it. See, opposition is going to happen towards Jesus there is division there will be opposition and yet the kingdom is going to grow there is going to be division in families because of Jesus but God is at work in you making you more like him wow Jesus is the one who sets us free but here as as we get to the end of this, I want us to ask the question is, how are you going to respond to this moment? How are you going to respond to what Jesus has just done? Because there's a couple of ways you can respond. And it's very evident. Luke wants us to think about how we're going to respond because he spends a lot of time on how people responded. We've got the woman's response and we've got the synagogue leader's response. Are you going to be someone who's a rejoicer or are you going to be someone who's a complainer? How are you going to respond in this moment, in this time, in this place, in this place in history, knowing that it's only Jesus who can set you free? How are you going to respond to know and to react as you understand that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed? 
That, that what God is doing in your heart, it's, it's like leaven, it's like yeast. How are you going to respond to that? Because it can be so easy in this moment to get saturated in the news, to have articles passed around, to become so consumed by those things that all of a sudden we start to find ourselves, rather than considering it pure joy, we start to complain. This week, a pastor in the Baptist circles, he, he shared Philippians chapter 3 at a pivotal moment this week. Paul is in chains and Paul, he, he shares this word from chapter 3 verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. See, Paul knows he hasn't got his life together. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ. The pastor was great this week because what he's doing is he's reminding us as pastors to fix our eyes on Jesus in this moment. We may not have the answers for people that they want to hear, but we can point them to someone who can set them free. Jesus. We can have a deep-seated joy. This woman, she rejoices and she honours and she glorifies God. See, we can be a complainer or a, a praiser. See, they rejected this, but she praised God. See, it was the religious who complained. How dare you do this, Jesus? They've rejected some will reject, but others will praise. This woman was free. Her shackles were come off. She lifted her face. She straightens up and she praises God. Thanksgiving is rippling out of her heart and her situation. And the hypocrites and the religious just get annoyed because they fail to see the compassion of Jesus. They fail to see who Jesus really is. They fail to see that they're actually in the kingdom of darkness and that there's only one person who can set us free from that, and that is Jesus. And he has done that for us. And therefore, we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to worry about. Because Jesus says, I have set you free. I have set you free. And the kingdom is going to grow. And you're going to grow. Let's rejoice today. Let's consider it joy. Let's rejoice in the one who came and set the captive free. Because those who are free are free indeed. Let's journey together as a church as we know the freedom that we have. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Help us to know and to grasp and understand the freedom that you have given us. Lord, may our hearts rejoice. May they be lifted up to you. Father, help us this week to love and to serve you. And Lord, as we struggle maybe with ministry or as we struggle with life and you just think the world is oblivious to the kingdom of God, Lord, we can be confident that as Jesus said, it's like a mustard seed. It's just going to grow and grow and grow. Father, what hope we have. And what hope we have of eternity with Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth. Father, we look forward to that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.